is just one service, it's combined service, it's the camp out weekend. So we'll be gathering, Lord willing, weather allowing outdoors at 10.30 for a 10.30 service. Not sure yet on location, but probably in a similar area to where we have met outdoors in previous years. So just come um, looking for where that might be. So bring camp chairs, comfortable chairs, um, and hopefully we'll have a great time of fellowship leading in then to picnic, um, lunch, and time in the afternoon. If you have any particular questions about camp out, um, see Lisa or who else? Ed. Or Ed, there we go. Um, so if you have any final questions about that. Then in two weeks time will be promotion Sunday. So if your children are, are moving a grade out of a class into another class, that will be the Sunday that will make that move. And also it will be the first Sunday of the new bodybuilders classes. Just want to give you uh, an outline of what those classes will be. Meeting here in the auditorium will be a class taught by Roy Allison on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he's thinking through issues of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Um, so thinking of some Trinitarian issues, but also of his incarnation. What does it mean that Jesus was fully God and fully man? And so reflecting on who he is, his life, and his ministry. So bring all your hard questions to that class, and Roy is sure to help you. Maybe not completely satisfy you, but I'm sure he will help you think through those issues. Then down at the gym, Pastor Joe will be preaching a class on spiritual maturity, um, using the book by Jerry Bridges, and the name's escaping something holiness, pursuing holiness, practicing holiness, Disciplines of holiness, maybe. No, it's not disciplines of grace. It's something holiness. Anyway, I've got a few books out there that I ordered in um, that will give you some idea of the class. So that will be upstairs at the gym. And then I'm teaching um, a second class on parenting. Not the same class. Many of you who took that class um, had lots of questions we didn't get to. So I want to take that opportunity to explore some of those questions and to think a little more uh, on parenting in the preteen, teen, and beyond kind of zone. So please come uh, for that opportunity to think through. If you didn't take parenting class last term, so that's the beginning of this year, that, is not a, that won't preclude you from coming. So come anyway and um, grow and think well about parenting. So that's two weeks' time will be the first week of that new bodybuilder's term. Okay, any questions about next weekend, camp out weekend, church picnic, new bodybuilder's Okay, great. So today, since it's the last, um, the last uh, lesson that we'll be looking at this uh, issue of the sovereignty of God, we entitled the uh, series, What Choice Do We Have If God is Sovereign? And uh, it was a huge topic, I know, and we've explored some of those issues. And so I was thinking about um, what, what to talk about today, what would be helpful. So what I want to do is briefly review um, a few things and then I want to focus on what I, for want of a better word, am terming the spirituality of compatibilism. That is, what's some of the 
impact of the theology we've been reflecting on in our day-to-day walk, the spirituality of our lives. So just for review, I wanted to look at the way the Westminster Confession kind of succinctly brings this together. It says, uh, it's speaking here of God's eternal decree from God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty of contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. So we see here a strong statement that what comes to pass in creation is the result of God's will and decree. But the will and decree of the Creator is such in His creation that it does not negate or neutralize or make irrelevant the fact that He's made us in His image to function in His world with will and emotion and desire and choice. And so what what the... um, the saints who wrote this were trying to convey was the full weight of Scripture, both of the, of the reality and the specificity of God's sovereignty, as well as the weight and responsibility that we have as humans. Then um, I've been using this other word, which I think is helpful. It's not in the Bible. I think it's just a helpful way to speak of this, and that is to say that the view of God's sovereignty that he is working out his specific will in all of creation is compatible with the fact that we as humans have choice, have will, and have responsibility in how we function. We are held morally responsible. And God's will does not negate the fact that we're held morally responsible. We can't say something like, God willed it, so I had to sin anyway. That's not a logic or a rationale that we get from Scripture. Nor can we say, I sinned, and so I was able somehow to thwart God's purposes. Both of those would be wrong statements to make. So just just the reflection that what we're talking about is that a view of God's specific sovereignty is compatible with human choice. So there are a number of as I was reflecting on that and thinking of all the possible questions we continue to have, what would we do today? And so what I thought would be most helpful is um, to think about some of the ways this impacts our day-to-day spirituality. How should these doctrines affect the way we pray, the way we worship? Um, How should it affect the way we go about seeking to be more like Christ? to live according to the Spirit of Christ and not according to our fleshly inclinations. And one of the graces of God, for me, um, is that as we've been going through this series in the summer, we've been teaching through Joshua. And uh, in my study, in my reflection, I found a great deal of um, resonance between these two realities. Looking at the life of uh, the people of Israel, the life of Joshua as he leads the people of Israel and see what God is doing in his sovereign purposes through people who are acting and planning and purposing. Okay. Did I just drop out there, Matt, for a moment? 
Okay, let me see if this is... Did it just drop out again? It was doing this during the sermon last week, and um, some of you gave me feedback about that. Good feedback, it's helpful. Okay, well, we'll see if that fixes it. Um, and if it does it again, let's try to do some troubleshooting as I'm going along. Okay, so what, what I'd like to do um, initially is to go to chapter uh, or Psalm 127. Um, this is a psalm that has been um, fairly prominent in my heart and mind uh, over these last, I think, probably month or so. Um, as I've been thinking about the life of Joshua and as I've been thinking about this topic at hand, and I think is a, is a beautiful model for us um, of what it, what it looks like to live in light of these realities. Um, so Psalm 127, we read, um, there is a song of ascents, and it's of Solomon, probably we would, uh, would think, I think, written by Solomon, as opposed to for Solomon or to Solomon. So Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. My first comments have to do, I think, with the larger context of this psalm. I want to begin here. This is important to reflect on. How do we think about what Solomon is saying here? Well, I think as we look at the overall arc of the book of Psalms and its um, strong themes uh, connected to David as king and anticipating the future king who will be eternal, who will reign forever, who will fulfill every element of the Davidic covenant, that I think reading Psalm 127 should be in line with this, and so we should read Psalm 127 in light of the Davidic covenant that we read about in 2 Samuel 7. That is, David wanted to build God a house. And uh, the Lord appears to him and says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And um, rather, he says, I will build you a house. And so he kind of turns it around and he speaks of something that will come from David's line, his lineage, his descendants. Someone will come from him, a son, a seed, through whom God will accomplish great and marvelous things. And in anticipation of the ultimate king, that is Jesus, his immediate son Solomon would build the temple. The temple itself um, would be something that looks towards Christ, and then through Christ, the church. So here is Solomon reflecting um, on the nature of this Davidic covenant, I think particularly for his own life. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
You might think initially that would be thinking of construction. Uh, but, but we see maybe looking beyond just a physical house, but to a house, uh, a heritage, a, um, a family that would come. Unless the Lord does that, those who would seek it would seek it in vain. Then he goes and reflects on the security of, of, of kingship, the security of his family. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He thinks about labor and his, you might say, his role, his responsibilities as king. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil that he gives to his beloved sleep. And then the realization. Um, Ultimately, children are from the Lord. That is something that is from God because God is the author of life. And so we see Solomon here kind of reflecting on these large theological, generational promises and principles. But as we read this, I think we also have here a great example to follow. King Solomon is modeling for us a way we think about life. So you can think, how is Solomon thinking about his place in history and the promises given to him and the expectations that he might have of the future? How does he process that? And so as we look at this psalm, we can learn from that and, and I think very directly apply that principle of perspective to our lives. So let's look here at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So unless God is doing something, the doing of man is in vain. It's fruitless. Um, So there are are a number of uh, initial implications here. So let's just look at the first phrase. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. One of the reflections here is, with this perspective, when the house is built, is there a place to say, look at the house I built, how wonderful am I, all glory to me? There's no place for that. Because if it was merely human effort, it wouldn't ultimately be accomplished. So one of the things this perspective allows is praise where praise should be weighted. We praise God because ultimately it's because of him that these things are accomplished. It's ultimately because of God that his promises are fulfilled. But behind this is also another implication that is humans aren't passive. It doesn't say God's the one who builds, kick back and relax and watch him do it for you. Or there's no point watching over the city because whether the city falls or is safe, you have the control over that. It's all God. We don't see that either. What we see is diligent effort. We see humans acting 
to the capacity that God has given them to act. And so they do build. They do watch. But the watching and the building ultimately has its fruitfulness, ultimately has a blessing upon it, because God is the one who is doing it. And oftentimes, it's not obvious. You know, I think of the story of Nehemiah and when they're building the walls, and he, he rallies the people, and they give maximal effort. They're, they're working with a sword by, their, by one side, and the, as it were, the trowel, as they're building the wall beside them as well. And, and they're giving maximal effort. And an incredible thing happens. Great things are accomplished in the building of the wall. But it's not particularly obvious, it would seem from the text, um, that they were working on the wall, and then they come back after sleeping that night, and the next day, a few more layers are built magically. It doesn't seem to be like a magical thing that happened, or we might say a miraculous thing, but in their effort, they were given incredible progress in their effort and they could stand back and say we never thought this could be accomplished this much this quickly they gave maximal effort they worked hard they were tired it was blood sweat and tears in that work but God was the one who was giving them blessing so here back to Psalm 127 unless the Lord builds a house those who build it labor in vain It's not saying all labor is vanity. But it's giving us the right perspective that we should have in our labor or in our watching. Verse 2 now kind of changes perspective. It addresses another inclination that we might have as we think about wrestling with this reality of giving maximal effort in doing what God has commanded us to do and trusting the blessing into the hands of the Lord. We might have a tendency to go beyond giving full effort to giving over effort as a result of seeing confidence in our effort. Look at verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. What, what's, um, what's Solomon kind of getting at here? Well, he's getting at the perspective that you might so much rely on your own effort that you are not able to rest. I have to keep working. I have to keep working. It's never fully accomplished. It ultimately relies upon me. Second part of verse 2. Eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. I see in Psalm 127, um, we might say a, a, a psalm that reflects many of the themes that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we are to give maximal effort, but we don't give maximal effort, so we don't, we don't work in such a way that we cease to rightfully rest, to rightfully see the, the richness of life. And I see here um, a theme that we see reflected in the Sabbath. What does the Sabbath do? The Sabbath requires the people of Israel to cease their labor. Now, think about life. You know your life. You get to the end of the week. I'm not sure we ever say it's all accomplished. If you're, 
If you're um, a manager of the home and you get all the laundry done, and it just so happens you get all the laundry done and everything folded and put away by 3 p.m. on an afternoon, give it an hour or two, and it's back there. It's growing again. Um, when you cut the lawn, the grass keeps growing. Um, when you sweep, when you clean, dust keeps coming. When you fix something, more things will break down. Um, and, and so we never get to the end. And so the idea of Sabbath is you get to the end of the week. Think of the people of Israel, m- m- mostly, uh, well, in the early years at least, nomadic people. They're not established in, in cities. There's always more to be done. And they hit the Sabbath and they hit pause on what we might say is productivity. There's more to be done. But one of the things Sabbath trains is this perspective that there is more to be done, but there are important things to do. So I put the productivity to the side that I might prioritize in a unique way elements of spirituality and worship. And I'm trusting the Lord that as I do, everything's not going to fall apart. See, if we have the perspective of verse 2, we would never rest. You just keep working because the moment you stop working, things will fall apart. Things will fail. If, if you stop working, then all your effort may prove to be useless and all in vain. So when we trust our own efforts and we rely upon ourselves as being the ultimate cause of blessing and success, then we don't know rest. And so the perspective, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain, that perspective also helps us not to be workaholics. It helps us not to rely on ourselves. It helps us to realize God calls us to, to responsibility and to faithfulness. And he keeps working, and so we can sleep at night because we trust the God who brings blessing, the God who provides, the God who is at work. Do you have a question, John? Sure, I mean, that's, that's the inevitable result, right? We run ourselves into the ground, yeah, and we end up dying, yeah. So, as I think about the way Solomon is modeling this, I think uh, here's, here's a good, good model for us. I don't know what, what you feel most overwhelmed with or where you're tempted, maybe on one side or the other, of thinking about God's sovereign work in this world or thinking about your effort. That Psalm 127 gives us a model of how to navigate that, how to preach truth to us as we go through life. Um, So for me, unless the Lord grants me wisdom, I study in vain. Or unless the Spirit of God works in the hearts of the saints, I preach in vain. I, I preach, I cannot change a human heart. I cannot bring about spiritual transformation in your lives. If I preach thinking I can somehow produce spiritual fruit in your life through my preaching, I will end up doing 
Verse 2. And the danger is, either I will give up in despair and go, no one's changing, I'm a failure. Or I would say, look at the change, aren't I amazing? And both of those would be an utter distortion of reality. Or I could say, hey, it's all up to the Spirit of God. I'll just kind of scratch together something 10 minutes before the service, and we'll see how it goes. And if it works, God wanted it to work. If it doesn't, I mean, uh, and if it doesn't, he didn't want it to work. And I just kind of somehow absolved myself of responsibility. That would be an utter distortion as well. So I wonder, as you think about your life, and you think about the tensions in your soul, where you feel um, this weight, where... The future is dependent upon your effort. Think, how are you thinking about that and praying about that? Are you to the point of despair and saying, my effort is meaningless? God will do what he'll do. Kind of a fatalistic perspective. Are you so desperate to bring about a certain outcome that you're reliant on yourself and you are wearing yourself into the ground? You're taking responsibility for things that you can't accomplish? So Psalm 127 is a place for you to go back to. And so as you look at Psalm 127, maybe you can kind of put in there, rephrase that for those things in your life. Unless the Lord... What would you write in there? Then you labor in that way in vain. Do you rise up early and go to bed late with a frenetic, incessant um, obsessive just obsessive 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 like this compelling drive that prevents you from resting you go to you try to go to sleep and your mind is buzzing you wake up and your heart rate picks up as you think about the dread or the responsibility or the overwhelming reality of the day. Here's a psalm to help you think rightly both about God's sovereign activity and your responsibility. So labor and rest Trusting the Lord in his working and working with diligence and faithfulness. Now, if any of us get this perfect, we've reached perfection, haven't we? So I don't expect any of us to get this perfect. We are, we are growing towards this as Christ follows. We're growing towards this in wisdom, seeking to understand our own motives, seeking to understand our perspective of God, And maybe in some seasons, we might err in temptation towards one side. Maybe it's too much activity. In other seasons, we might err to another side where kind of maybe too passive, fatalistic. But have this as as this goal that directs your heart, directs your prayer, and directs your perspective of what it is to live in light of the reality that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. And he calls us to act with volition, with choice, and he holds us responsible for the things that we do. Okay, before I move on, Psalm 127, any particular reflections from Psalm 127? Yes, Seth. I have a 
Yeah, beautiful cross-reference. Yeah, I think that's just a, 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 a perfect parallel of thought there. Yeah, thanks, Seth. Yeah, Matt. Okay, um, so if I don't get to the second question, remind me what the second question is. Let me start with the first question. So what Matt was saying was, as we think about looking at Psalm 127, um, we look at, I was using the word ultimate, um, who ultimately gets the glory? God gets the glory. But is there any place for acknowledging a human effort, uh, responsibility, wisdom, strength, uh, endurance, those human uh, character traits that we, we see in Scripture? Um, so as, as you read through the book of Proverbs, I mean, the book of Proverbs is filled with these, like, and I, thank you for raising that, Matt. I, I think that we probably will have a similar question, maybe from one way, one way or another. So if you look at the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is instructing us to exercise discernment and wisdom and the circumstances we're in and to give good effort to planning, to be financially, uh, a good financial steward of our resources, to be good stewards of our time, um, to plan, to um, give good effort to um, the task in hand. So we, we do exhaust ourselves, we do get weary. Um, so the, the Proverbs is calling us to, these, to do these things. And there's a recognition in the book of Proverbs that those who function increasingly towards this wisdom ideal are living wisely and we're, we're to model our lives to them. We say this is how God calls us to live. And, and so I would certainly say that there is a place for us to recognize, um, look at the endurance of this person in this situation. Look at their faithfulness in planning. Look at the, the, the value of getting counsel and to, and to be thankful to the Lord for how he has given us the wisdom to... Um, to pursue those things and how the Lord blesses as we seek to live more and more in alignment with his purposes and plans. Um, you might have some uh, cross-references in mind. One of the things that do come to mind is um, Paul's testimony in Colossians. In Colossians 2...
Um, Paul is giving a testimony. Um, I'm, I'm going to say giving testimony to his um, perspective of the Lord's work, but also giving testimony in such a way that he is modeling to the saints um, a righteous perspective of what labor is. So in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul here is talking about his ministry, his apostolic ministry of going to the Gentiles and, and speaking of the um, great mystery of the gospel, which is the riches of the glory of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is, this is Paul's longing. This is his motivation. Verse 29, and he speaks now something of his effort. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, so Paul, we might say, by giving us this example, is commending to the Colossians a certain approach to ministry. He, he is exhausted. He has given himself um, in the ministry. And that is something... To model, it is, it is something to emulate. Um, but then he concludes with the statement: the energy that he is exercising in faithfulness is something that is a result of God powerfully working within him. So even in this point where Paul is speaking of the diligent effort that he gives, he's speaking something. Um, um, of the relationship between faithful effort, righteous effort, and the enabling and the empowering of God. So it's not merely for Paul, it's not merely the results of his ministry that are the product of God's sovereign power, but it's also the act of his ministry. Um, in, in the act of his ministry, that he is experiencing the sovereign, enabling power of God. So you're kind of swinging back around to what Matt said. We, we speak of what it is to live faithfully before the Lord. We, we give of our effort. And even if someone were to say to us, great effort, that's an incredible job you've done, what would we say? Even at that point, we would say something like, praise the Lord, I gave it my all, and Christ strengthened me. And I thank him still for strengthening me in my giving of my all, in my serving of the Lord, in my labor of the day. And, and as I look at Scripture, this, this would be a principle not merely applied to, we might call, overtly spiritual activities like preaching the gospel or visiting the sick. It would be anything that we're, we're doing that um, is expressing faithfulness to the Lord as people being made in his image. So I think it's fair to say, praise the Lord, great job, I really appreciate what you've done there. That was done excellently. Um, and it's, we, we recognize 
the heart of the person, the faith that's being expressed, the compassion that they have, we recognize that as genuinely from them. And we recognize that what is genuinely from them and is of spiritual fruit is also the product of the Spirit's work within them. So I think we say both, but in saying both, we always rest on what is ultimate. We always realize the Spirit's work, the Spirit's enabling, the Spirit's power. You know, if someone were to say, that was such a compassionate act, you could say something like, why, thank you. Um, I've always thought of myself as the most compassionate person here. <laughs> or you might say, why, thank you. It is a joy to serve. God has given me a heart of compassion for people. And as I do that, I taste of his work and blessing. So it's not, it's not saying my action, my choice, my desire is meaningless. It's not real. It really is real. It is true. It is me. But it's most beautifully me, most richly me, most satisfyingly me, because of what the Spirit is doing in my life. So those things go together. Maybe that's not satisfying, but... Yep, Mike. Yeah. So really, I mean, it's kind of the kind of words that we use to express the thanks or the appreciation. And those words can help us to internalize and think about it. Yeah, and, and I'm, as you were talking, Mike, I'm also I'm, I'm thinking also, even in this discussion of how we think about it, interact with one another, we're reflecting, we're wrestling with some of the tension that we've experienced in some of the larger theological questions, right? Um, we're, we're wrestling to speak truly because when we do something, we are, it is genuinely from our heart. It is genuinely a reflection of who we are. It is actually a choice that we've made and we recognize that and we recognize the work of God at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry. I had the good fortune of having grandparents that, as I was growing up, I heard them often say, Lord willing. So we plan on starting that building project Monday, Lord willing, or Lord willing, we will be there Wednesday. And I heard it so often, I thought it was a verse in the Bible that they were just quoting a verse at the end of their statement. So I'm not sure how old I was that I realized they were saying everything falls under that sovereignty of God, our plans 
Yeah. It, I have a similar experience. I, I heard some older saints when I was growing up say that. And I thought, that kind of looks kind of quaint. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I thought about it. It's just old people say that. And, um, and it wasn't until many years later I realized, well, it's not quaint. They may be just saying it out of habit. But they may actually be saying it in a very deliberate way that they are living their life that way in how they plan and purpose. Yeah. That's a great illustration. Um, Matt, your second question, I forget, or comment, question. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So the other thing Matt was talking about is... Um, if I could, I'm not quoting Matt here, I'm, I'm just um, riffing off him. And uh, if we look at Psalm 127, we might say something, well, well that, verse 2, that's all very well and good, but when you have these gargantuan responsibilities that are pressing on your soul and your life, um, and, it, and, it, and people are relying on you to perform a function, then you have to do whatever it takes to fulfill that function. How do we kind of wrestle with that? Um, very real-world sense of obligation and responsibility. Um, that's about right, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, you're great. Your effort at some level, we recognize our effort does matter. Um, the the time we invest, the responsibilities we have, and how do we account for those things? I think my first response, uh, yes, did somebody's hand go up? Yeah, Bev. Yeah, there we go, end of James, yeah. Um, it is foolish to say we're going here, rather we should say if the Lord wills. Yeah, thanks, Bev. I think my, my first response, Matt, is um, we can't, and, and to all of us, right? You can't go to a verse that gives you the answer, the simple answer to that. And what, thinking about the, the topic this morning, the spirituality of living in light of these realities, the press we feel on one side of the, or the other at various seasons in, in life is um, how the Lord is um, forcing us to wrestle with the demands of Scripture on one side or the other. And, and those demands of Scripture put us in a place of humility before God's requirements or commands. So sometimes some of us are on the slack side. Oh, you know, I'll put some effort in. I'll work a few hours. God knows, right? And, and there's, there's a, a pressure that we need to apply from Scripture that you're to see your responsibilities, you're to fulfill your responsibilities, you're to work hard as you go through the day. Don't be a slacker. Um, don't be lazy. Don't be self-indulgent. Don't be putting your momentary pleasures ahead of your responsibilities. Don't be unfaithful to fulfill an obligation because it's not convenient. There are a lot of inconveniences in life. And, then, and, and, and that presses us in a certain kind of way. We are having to, as it were, die to self and give up 
um, things that we hold dear or things that we feel are important. And on the other side, where we, we might feel that weight and we feel driven and compelled, and so other people around us are saying, you need to slow down. You need to give up some responsibility. You, uh, you, you are, you're, the, the way you're managing your life and directing your life is in, in imbalance. Then on that side, we have to give up something. There's, there's a, as a dying to self, there's a sense of anxiety that we feel when we're pressed to the place of saying, because of these other righteous responsibilities on my life, um, my health, we need to be good stewards of our body. Um, my family, as a, as a husband or wife or a mother or father. Um, responsibilities that you might have in the church. These other responsibilities that God weights your life with can, can be used of God to press and show where there's imbalance in another area. And when God does that, we are in a place of anxiety because if I stop this, if I say no to this, if I say I can do this much and no more, and I don't do everything that might have been done, what do I do with that? What do I do with that sense of lack, not, not a sense of not having completed it all? And the scriptures, I think, press us to say, I can't do it all. I can't perfectly fulfill every responsibility. That maybe I need to pull back and say, I can't do this. Maybe we need to admit and say, I said I would do that. Um, and I'm wondering if I can renegotiate those responsibilities. And when we do that, there is something happening deep in our heart that is pressing us to be submissive to the authority of God and how we should function. There's something that God is using in those circumstances to press us to stop the work that we might rest. That's what we see down here in verse 2. It is hard, if you're on that side of the spectrum, it is hard to stop and rest. It is an act of submission. It is an act of faith. Because kind of everything in us is saying you can't do that. You must work until you die to finish this whatever this is. And, and God presses us, as it were, to die to self and to submit, and that can be a painful thing. So I think on whatever side we find ourselves in different seasons of life, we feel the press of God through his word to submit to his ways and to trust in him. And it can be painful on either side, I think. Okay, did I see a hand up somewhere? Okay, yeah, yeah, Mike. Yeah, this is something that I've really had to struggle through over the years. It's like, um, uh, it's like, what's the difference between like anxiety and stress, like outside of pressure that's coming in? Like, uh, you know, it might look kind of the same. Like, um, I'm worried about this. It, it all falls on my shoulders. 
I want to kind of respond to what you're saying, Mike, and I think this is really helpful looking at the time and we kind of wrap it up. I think one of the things I like the way Mike was saying is that realization of the, can I say, the complexity of the dynamics when we feel the pressure of life or the pressure of a situation. It could be the pressure of parenting. It could be the pressure of hosting. It could be the pressure of, I don't know, yard work or things breaking down or uh, the pressure of aging parents or the um, pressure of job insecurity or responsibility, the pressure from so many places that one of the things the scripture does, one of the things the spirit of God does as he presses us there, he doesn't give us the easy escape of I have high anxiety, I'll just quit. Like, they're the easy responses, and those, those kind of easy extremes um, avoid complexity, but they also avoid maturity. And for us to kind of sit and wrestle with, okay, here is anxiety in this situation, but what, am I, what, what does God hold me accountable to do? What does he hold me responsible to do in this particular moment, given the resources I have, given the situation I have? And so what does it mean to be trusting the Lord in this particular situation so that I'm neither being given over to fear or anxiety nor being given over to despair and giving up? And we want as humans at that point for God to drop out of the sky a spiritual elixir kind of to fix it, right? I think we could all end up and say, give me the magic pill so that I can go into the situation and just be really easy to navigate. It's all straightforward and I feel really good all the time. That's not the way spiritual growth happens. It's in the, the, the press of those moments where we're wrestling to fight against fleshly desires and seek for spiritual enabling and the wisdom to know how to move forward in one circumstance or another. And as we do that in dependence upon the Spirit, we taste of short and long-term blessing. We taste of the short-term blessing of, this, of us submitting to the work of the Spirit through the Word. And we taste of the long-term blessing because there are some inevitable consequences of living God's ways in God's world. Inevitable natural consequences, as well as the rich blessing of God over and above that. Um, let me just go to one other verse, and then we're going to wrap. I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. Because th- this, uh, this was another passage I want to go to, but I think it, it um, keys into some of what we're talking about here. There's giving full effort in our spiritual growth, but the motivation for the effort and the enabling of that effort comes from God. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says to the saints in Philippi, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Give it effort. Give it your full effort. Give it your full diligence in pursuing spiritual maturity. But what is the nature of this full effort? Does this mean our salvation depends on our effort? Does this mean spiritual growth depends on our effort? What Paul and the saints here to do is to engage 
in the totality of their humanity with their will and emotions and imagination, every part of their humanity to engage in pursuing spiritual maturity. And the foundation or the motivation for that and the enabling for that comes as we look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just as we learned the other week from Pastor Joe, what motivates evangelism? The confidence that God redeems people. It ultimately does not depend on you whether someone is saved or not. Though you bear responsibility in faithfully speaking the truth. Here we see again, what, what is this pursuit of spiritual maturity? We, we work it out. We give our full effort. And we do so because of what Christ has done. Because of what promised, God has promised in Christ to do ultimately in our eternal inheritance. And because of our confidence in what Christ is presently doing through his spirit. We want the feeling of empowerment before we act. And what Paul says is, in the acting of faith, we experience the empowerment and the working of the spirit. This verse, like these others, are a reflection of what it is to recognize who we are as people made in God's image, people who can make choice, who have volition, who God holds responsible, and the divine working of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, these are 